afternoon, everyone. Tyler here is here with you for today's VRA Investing Podcast. Hope you all had a great day out there. It was a good day for our markets today, despite Jay Powell, you know, being in front of this congressional hearing today, usually, you know, maybe not this scenario, because it's usually when Jay Powell speaks at FOMC meetings that the market likes to tank, but really any day that he speaks, you're taking a risk being in the markets. Uh, but it was a good day today, um, despite that. And really, uh, not too much new that he went through there. I just caught a bit of it this morning. But one part that did stick out that we've talked about here quite a bit that I wanted to dive into here today was that Jay Powell stated, as we've heard, that they're looking, you know, they're doing some QT, quantitative tightening, reducing their balance sheet. But today he said, that they want to reduce their balance sheet by roughly two and a half to three trillion dollars smaller than it is right now. The Fed's balance sheet is currently at nine trillion dollars after the huge jump up that it got after coronavirus insanity. But if we look back on uh, you know what we've seen from Jay Powell, that sounds like quite a long shot. Remember, they just tried quantitative tightening a few years ago from 2017 to 2019. At the time, the Fed's balance sheet was about half of what it is now, roughly four and a half trillion dollars. And their goal was to bring down the balance sheet by roughly a trillion or so. I Actually, the estimates were, were for more than that, but they lowered them as they went on. They got to not even $750 billion before they had to reverse course uh, and begin right back to easy money policies. Again, it capitulated much, much earlier than expected. And keep in mind, that was in a strong economy under Trump, right? We had strong GDP growth, great unemployment numbers, great employment numbers. Uh, like I said, no inflation, and they couldn't get the job done then. So now that we have Obama 2.0, which we've called Biden from the beginning, where remember, Obama was the only president in history to serve an eight-year term and not have back-to-back -back quarters of at least 2% GDP growth. So in that environment, we've got high inflation, employment you know, still strong, but not where it was pre-pandemic. Uh, you really think that we're going to get back to cutting, being able to cut the Fed's balance sheet by two and a half to three trillion dollars over the next two years or so, you know, roughly the end of 2023. That's not how we see it. We put the chances of that happening at a uh, pretty slim here. Really, uh, we think they'll probably capitulate early just like they did uh, from 2017 to 2019 as well. And, I mean, we've seen the Fed not make good on their promises a few times, really bringing into question the credibility of the Fed. Uh, but really, as we see it, the lofty goals that they're talking about from interest rate hikes, uh, far beyond expectations, quantitative tightening, far beyond expectations, that helps the Fed jawbone the market lower. That's the real purpose of those lofty expectations that they're getting at. So we don't see that happening, uh, at least to that extent that he talked about today. And then, you know, the next question there, and probably the more important one, would be if the Fed tries to get even close to those levels, will they be making a major policy error? Again, 
uh, in this environment of high inflation, supply chain issues, uh, you know, a, an economy that's still trying to find its footing under the Biden administration. Uh, but in regards to just interest rate hikes, we have some precedent to today. Obviously, quantitative tightening and quantitative easing are a whole new beast that's just been unleashed on the world in the last little over a decade. Uh, so we don't have a whole lot of precedent for that. But if you go back and look at some of the Fed's previous actions, we might get a little bit of insight. So going back to the 1970s, this is early 1970s before Paul Volcker entered the, the, the equation, the previous Fed chair was Arthur Burns. Roughly three years into Arthur Burns' tenure as Federal Reserve Chair, we started to have an inflation problem. It was really the oil crisis of 1973 uh, and the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait. So inflation was on the rise, oil prices were on the rise, sound familiar, exactly like today, and the Fed panicked and began to raise rates at a quick pace. Looking back, Fed, Federal Reserve historians will tell you that that directly at least contributed to the stagflation that we got. It didn't help inflation and it hurt employment. Uh, giving us the stagflation of the 1970s that Paul Volcker came in, raised interest rates through the roof, and uh, helped get under control. But the problem here that Volcker didn't have, but Arthur Burns did have, more so was on the supply, ch supply chain side, which the Federal Reserve has virtually no control over that. So interest rates aren't helping here. They're actually contributing to supply chain problems. If you have companies that are hesitant to expand their business, they don't want to take out a loan at higher interest rates to fund new projects, well, you're, that's a vicious circle of contributing to those supply chain issues. Compare that, the 1970s issue, to the 1990s, where Alan Greenspan had a similar problem, oil prices, began to ramp up. Inflation was the highest since we had seen since the 70s as well. Yet he didn't go right to rate hikes because he had learned his lesson by studying Arthur Burns' failed attempt at the Fed. Greenspan knew that he had no control. That wasn't the Fed responsibility over the supply chain. So he made the prudent decision to let the market work it out. And then, of course, we led into the boom of the later 1990s. So Today, which one of those scenarios do you think we're looking like we're duplicating right now? It certainly seems like we're taking the Arthur Burns approach here because we may have a strong labor market for now. And if it weren't for the supply shocks in energy and food markets, then maybe this would be a really good idea. But given that those supply chain issues are outside of the Federal Reserve's control, it certainly appears that Jay Powell is leading us down a very dangerous path right now. And ultimately, you know our view, not huge fans of the Federal Reserve as a whole, uh, but we think that Jay Powell is leading us towards another major policy error that he's going to have to reverse like we saw in 2019. And so the next question, the question we've talked about here a lot, and our biggest concern right now is whether or not that level of destruction is actually intentional. 
Uh, and there would be a few reasons for that, but you can't look at everything we're seeing, not just the Federal Reserve, but from the Biden administration and from our government as a whole, and think that they just wake up every morning and make mistake after mistake after mistake. Anybody looking at that objectively would say, no, these people aren't just stupid. This seems very intentional. Uh, and again, that's our biggest concern is this intentional destruction of America. We've seen it over the last three years since the beginning of coronavirus insanity. And this isn't just about runaway inflation that we've seen since then, but one of the largest wealth transfers in history from the lower middle class up to the wealthiest individuals in the world. I'm sure you've seen the stats on how much billionaires wealth grew just in the last two and a half years or so. So what would the purpose of that be? This is straight out of the Cloward and Piven communist playbook here that you want to make everyone except for the extremely wealthy dependent on the government issue bringing in an, a nanny state to the extreme where you make conditions so unlivable for everybody that you're begging for relief and of course the government has the answer right they're there for you the seven scariest words in the english language i'm from the government and i'm here to help uh, that's exactly what they want you doing is to be begging them for help so they can bring in, you know, the Klaus Schwab Great Reset type of agenda. Whether it's that or not, uh, you know that they want more control here in the United States. And, and no example of that is better than we just got today in the Supreme Court ruling on uh, the gun rights issue in New York and saying that the, their policies had overstepped the Second Amendment. Everyone has a right to self-defense. And you see the left calling, you know, the Supreme Court standing up for your constitutional rights, and they call that harmful. They call it dangerous, right? So, of course, our constitutional rights are dangerous to somebody who wants to control you. Uh, but that's, you know, what we're seeing from this administration. And at the end of the day, all they need to do is get out of our way. Reverse some of these terrible, disastrous policies release regulations from the oil and gas industry and other industries as well, and let the American people get to work of solving their problems. We don't need the government to solve all of our problems here. That's not what, not what it's there for, even though that's how it's being utilized today. Now, okay, so on to the good news of the day here. Um, you know, we're seeing signs that the market is trying to make a bottom and a reverse here, telling us that we aren't headed for that 1970s style stagflation event. Of course, the midterms can't get here soon enough in November, uh, so we can at least limit the damage that is done. But what we continue to find the most interesting here from the market's point of view is that our hardest hit groups that really led us in to this bear market that began in February of 2021 may now be leading the markets higher. You've probably heard Kip's FIFO theory here. Uh, he's talked about this a lot on our podcast, but the first in, first out. And today, all four of our FIFO stocks are still leading the way higher. Those are ARC, Kathy Woods Innovation Fund, Biotex, KWeb, the China Internet Fund, and the IPO ETF, the Renaissance ETF of companies that have recently IPO'd. Each one, all four of those, bottomed and or sorry, topped in February of 2021. And what's especially interesting now is that while our markets broke to 52-week lows last week, 
all four of those held their May 12th lows. They, excuse me, they were able to hold on to their May 12th lows. Really, four of our only areas they were able to do it. Uh, so as long as we see those hold, we continue to look for those four to lead the way higher from here. That's exactly what we want to see uh, from these groups. So again, ARC K, which is at Kathy was Innovation Fund, Biotechs, KWeb, and IPO. And the bottom line here is that what we've seen from our recent bear markets, right? We've just been through three now in the last four years. From 2018 and 2020, once those markets found their footing again, it was back off to the races quickly and back to all-time highs quickly even. Uh, so we want to be prepared to act for that massive move higher from the VRA uh, investing system. We're looking for those here. And also, we'll be watching these four FIFO candidates closely. Uh, there's a ton, I, you know, I'm running a little long-winded here, so I'm not going to get into all the stats that we're seeing right now um, of what we've seen over the last five weeks, such as, you know, when we see, um, well, I'm not going to get into them all, but there's a ton of analytics that we're looking at right now. Like when you see back-to-back 5% -back weekly drops over 12 months, 85% of the time, the market is higher with an average gain of 28%. When you have two horrible quarters with the S&P falling more than 15%, the market is up an average of 30% four quarters later, 100% of the time. So these are the kind of things that we're looking for here to tell us that we've had the capitulation that we're looking for. So that said, let's take a look at our major indexes on the day. And to find all of those stats, Come and join us at VRAinsider.com. We've got a 14-day free trial going on right now, so come check all of those out. So, looking at our markets, we opened higher on the day, fell into midday today, but we got a good smart money hour today. Got a strong close, which is exactly what you want to see if you're bullish. We finished higher across the board today. We were led by the NASDAQ up 1.62% on the day to 11,232. Next up were small caps up 1.27% to 1,711. Next up the S&P up just under 1% to 3,795. And lastly, the Dow Jones up 6.64% to 30,677. I will point out today, the one thing that we didn't like to see was the semis did finish lower. You wanna see tech leading the way, which we got today in NASDAQ, but then you want to see the semis leading tech. The semis did finish down about half a percent on the day today. Looking at our internals, also, you know, pretty good numbers, but not great. Um, you know, you'd like to finish higher across the board on a day where your markets did. Uh, but advancing stocks, beating out declining stocks on both the NYSE and the NASDAQ. New 52-week highs to lows. Still elevated here, but well below last week's readings where we saw over 2,000 stocks hitting 52-week lows. Today, we had 553 stocks hitting 52-week lows to 40, hitting 52-week highs. And lastly here, volume. This is why I say that it wasn't you know, quite the day we wanted. We got negative volume on the NYSE, but it was basically flat. Um, and then we did finish almost two to one positive on the NASDAQ today for volume. Next up, our sector watch here, we finished with uh, seven out of our 11 S&P 500 sectors higher on the day. We were led by defensive names, utility, healthcare, and real estate. Re really good to see real estate starting to catch its footing here. HGX, the housing index, just finished its 
third update in a row here, up a nice 3.13%. And as a VRA leading economic indicator, we love to see it. Our laggards on the day were energy uh, down 3.75%. But as I want to point out here, you know, at the end of last month, beginning of this month, we started to point out that energy stocks had reached extreme overbought on steroids levels. Now we've fallen roughly 23% since the high of early June. So that's just since June 8th, uh, we've fallen over 20%. So technically in a bear market there. Um, but the good news here is that we're still above the 200 day moving average. As you know, this is a group we like a lot and we've now hit oversold readings. Uh, really getting close to extreme oversold readings here. Uh, so this is another group we want to get back into and we did today in our VRA portfolio. Next up for our laggards were materials, industrials, and financials. Finally for today, our VRA commodity watch where we did finish lower across the board here. Gold now down about 7 tenths of 1% to $1,825 an ounce. Next up, silver down 2.3% to $20.93 an ounce. Copper hit its lowest level today since February of 2021, down a big 5.15% to $3.74 a pound. And oil, along with energy, down today by about 2% to $104 a barrel. Finally for today, cryptocurrencies, which have just been you know, crushed uh, recently, but higher across the board today. Really, you know, in the first list of cryptos, all of them were up. Uh, you know, and we'd like to see this group start to catch a bid as well. That would tell us that the risk on appetite is back in this market. And so, too soon to tell right now, but good day today. Bitcoin now up 5.23% to $20,940 of Bitcoin. Folks, that's all that we have time for here today. Please be sure to subscribe to receive our VRA podcast every day at the market close. You can sign up at VRAinsider.com. Click the podcast link at the top, and we'd love to have you with us. Thanks again for tuning in. Until next time, we'll see you back here tomorrow for the close.